People don't really expect pastors to be able to dance, but um, it, it's a problem for me because I, I just, it's the coordination. I, I lack the coordination. It, it's a problem with athletics, too. Uh, when I played football and some of the other sports, I just I was always tripping over my own feet. And, uh, but there was one thing I really liked to do in high school, and, and that was to sing. And, and maybe there's something that you've been really passionate about, too, and you, you get excited about it, and so you, you sign up for every opportunity you can. And so I was in every choir that we had. The, the big choir, there were 150 kids in our main choir, and you didn't have to try out for that. It was just, you show up, you have a spot. So I was in that choir. I, there were other choirs that were smaller, and you, you had to try out for those. And so I tried out for, I was in the men's choir. I was in our all-state choir. We had a, one, it was a, a madrigal singers, where we dressed up in Renaissance costumes, and we uh, sang while people ate. I was in that choir. And, uh, but there was this other choir, this show choir, which is like a glee club where you sing and dance. And I was very hesitant about being in, in that choir. But our, our choir teacher really was pressuring me. What I didn't realize was um, she really needed guys to sign up for the show choir. So I, I went into to audition because it was one of the select choirs. And uh, you know, there were like 60 people there. And there were about 20 positions for the guys and 20 positions for the girls and and so, you know, pretty, I can't dance, but it turns out, you know, there were only 10 guys that showed up, so lo and behold, I made the cut, right? <laughs> and so over the course of the year, I was supposed to be learning to dance, but I just, I couldn't do it. I kept tripping over my feet. So at first, the choir teacher, she'd say, you guys at the back, you, you dance like gorillas. And I thought that was a compliment because, you know, <laughs> gorillas are big and muscular. Gorillas can't dance either, let me tell you. So it got worse, though. Eventually, they... They found a dance move that I could do. It was called this. Stand there, hold the microphone, and sing. So some of the other guys, they learned to dance, but I just, I couldn't get there. Um, I, I found another story about a, a different pastor who also found that he couldn't dance when he was younger. Um, his name was uh, Ian Watson, and uh, he was about 14 when he decided he really wanted to be able to dance. Now, his motivation was a little different um, he noticed that the boys who could dance got to go to the dance with girls. And so he was very excited about those social fringe benefits. Um, but he couldn't, couldn't participate because he couldn't dance. So what he did is he, he went out and he bought a book called Teach Yourself to Dance. It was a very practical book that uh, contained detailed dance instructions, elaborate diagrams, and he learned and memorized um, all of these dances. And he practiced with a pillow. So if you can imagine him dancing with a pillow. The problem is, like me, he was uncoordinated, and uh, even as he memorized all the steps and he was putting his feet in all the right places, he realized he was, he was clearly missing something, and he, he just seemed clumsy and graceless. Now, Watson's story doesn't end there. He, he did manage to get past that grace, and, and we'll come back to Watson a little bit later in the sermon, but uh, 
um, rest assured, he, he does get improvement. And that's what we're going to be looking in today. Um, in just a second, we're going to be going to Titus chapter 2, but let's take a, a moment to pray and to ask God for understanding. Dear Lord, we, we thank you for this day and we thank you for your word. Uh, we pray that you would give us um, knowledge, but also understanding, um, that we could look into your word and, and understand the message that you have for us, Lord, and that we could then also look into our lives and understand how that message can be lived out um, as we go forth. And bless us. Have your Holy Spirit come among us in your name. Amen. So if you could turn to uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Now if you're in a paper version or you've got, uh, there's Bibles in front of you in the pew, Titus is really short. And uh, my bookmark fell out, so I'm going to have to find it too. Um, it's uh, conveniently located though at the end of a bunch of books that begin with the letter T. So you've got First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, and then Titus is at the end of all of those, right close to the end of the New Testament. So Titus, uh, he was a Greek leader, and uh, he was in the early church. He was a convert of Paul, so Paul is the one who told Titus about Jesus, and he traveled with Paul. He went on missionary trips with Paul. They went all around the Mediterranean together, and uh, Titus was also likely one of those individuals that Paul brought with him to Jerusalem to show that the Holy Spirit was active, irrespective of circumcision, which was a big deal in the church back then. And so not only did they have a, a close relationship, not only were they, um, did they trust one another, but, but Titus was a person who had Paul's deep respect and was somebody that Paul was, able, was willing to stake his reputation on his character, his integrity. So I think that's part of why Titus is, is so short. They didn't have to, t Paul didn't have to bring a lot of words to the table because they knew each other well. So in, in chapter 2, verse 11, Paul writes, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who were zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So as we go over that passage, there's one thing that stands out really clearly to me, and that is that grace has a destination. We're going from a point of needing grace to living in grace, in community. And we get there through discipleship. So we've got three stops along the way. And the first thing is that grace is unexpected. It's the big reveal. If Titus were being made into a movie, this is where all the special effects budget would go. Grace is showing up. As we were singing those songs of praise and, and adoration of God, I was thinking, how often do we trivialize our relationship with God? Do we forget how amazing God is? I, I think of uh, if you... The, the, the word appear here is, is 
used in the Greek as, a, a, as showing when a, a god or a king has arrived. And I think of all the pomp and circumstance that comes when, when, the, uh, when the prince was here just uh, last year, I think it was. And everybody was, was flocking out to meet him and, and just, to, just to see him, just to say, I was there. That was something special. That was something amazing. Um, I, later on in this year, there's a, a guitar player coming called Phil Keggy, who I think is one of the best guitar players ever. And I have a friend who gets to drive Phil Keggy around. And that, to me, that would just be incredible. So unexpected. So for God's grace to appear, it's not just, oh, there's God's grace. Oh, boy. No, there's God's grace. It's exciting. It's unexpected. It's something that's undeserved. It's, it's good to know what we're entitled to, but, but we can't approach God's grace with an attitude of entitlement because it's not something that we deserve. We can't just sin and expect grace to be there because that's not how grace works. And it, it would be nice to just kind of camp out here to live and know that, that we have God's grace. And God's grace in the Christian context is that we have God's love. And that's a good place to be. It's good to be loved. But God's grace doesn't stop there. And, and Titus, here we don't stop there. He continues on to the salvation. We, we need grace because we have to be saved from our sin, from death. And, and even here, we, we like to take control of grace, and we like to say that, well, you know, there are certain sins, certain things that, that I don't like. You know, I, I'd like to be, um, you know, God, could you save me from, could you save me from greed? Could you save me from envy? But, you know, there's, there's this one part of my life that I'd, I'd like to hold on to that. You know, maybe you could just take care of the other things. We, we like to be in control but the thing is that while we're making this list of, of things that we want to be saved from, God's already moving on to the more important question. And that's what are we being saved to? And that's, that's where we're heading with Titus, is that we are being saved to something. Not just being saved from sin, but we are being saved to godliness. And being saved to something is crucial. I want you to imagine with me that, uh, that you're on the ferry going across the Georgia Strait there and and uh, maybe there's, there's something in the water, a seal or something. You're, you're leaning over to get a good look, and you plop into the water there. And uh, naturally, you'd like to be saved, right? It's cold, especially this time of year. Steve was pointing out uh, just how cold it's gotten lately. And let's say that somebody throws you a life preserver, and they holler down to you, you've been saved. You're not going to drown. But they don't do anything to pull you back onto the boat, you're still wet, you're still cold. If we're not saved to something, we're still in trouble. And if we're not being saved to something, we're really missing out on, on an important function of grace, and that is that, that we're, we're in sin, but then we're with God. You want to get onto the boat. And I think that that's one of the things that I really like about being here in, in Canada... We tend to cheapen grace by cutting half of it out. But being here in Canada, we, we, we have uh, health care. And if you're hurt or sick, you don't have to check your bank account first and make sure that you have enough money in the bank 
because the, the costs are pretty nominal uh, to call an ambulance or to go into the ER. I think you have to pay for parking if you drive yourself, and, and there's a small fee for the ambulance if you, if you need to have someone else drive you. Uh, it's not like that in the States, if, in case you don't know. Um, costs sometimes can be quite steep. Um, but we have this opportunity here to have access to health care, but, but we know as taxpayers that that care isn't free. It's free to the people who need it, but it doesn't mean that there are no costs. And so we have the same picture of grace. Grace is something that has been purchased for us at a price. It's not a price that we pay. It's a price that Christ has paid. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, it says in Romans. Jesus has paid the price for our grace. And yet in Titus here, we, say, we see that we are being saved to we're being saved to training in godliness, training in renouncing worldliness. Grace is costly, but it's not our cost. And sometimes we get confused about that because training feels a lot like work sometimes, and we don't always get it right. Sometimes as, as we're learning godliness, as we're learning to say no to the passions of this world, we get caught up and we, we make mistakes. Training is, is difficult, but it's not the cost. It's as though to say that we've given up something by being pulled out of the water, we, as though we were to say that we wanted to stay wet, that being dry is somehow a cost that we've paid to be saved. But it's not. Jesus has paid a price, and we have an opportunity to enjoy the fruits of Christ's labor, we have an opportunity to enjoy that by participating in this training that he has saved us to. It's that process of being made whole again. Once we're out of the water, there's, there's a process that you would go through of being dried off, of being warmed up, of being fed probably. You burn a lot of energy in the Georgia Strait this time of year. So we're saved to something, and we're saved to something at a cost. But that's not the, the final destination and I think that it's important that we look at, at grace, the destination of grace doesn't just happen for us as individuals. The destination of grace is in community. Christ didn't just die for you, and he didn't just die for me. Verse 14 tells us that he gave himself for us to redeem us. I'm not going to hang this on a pronoun either. As we continue on, we see that he, that, he, that he died to redeem a people for himself, to purify a people for himself that would have zeal for good works. Christ died for the community. And he died for a community where that grace lives. The destination of grace is the church. The story of Ian Watson and his dancing practice is he practiced, he always felt uneasy about going out and actually dancing. But he had this dream that, that one day he'd step out and he would step out full of confidence and full of coordination that he just couldn't find on his own. And so try as he might, 
he wasn't getting there. He wasn't ready. But for some reason, he went to a dance anyways. I think he was probably there just to take notes and, and see what other people were doing, maybe. Uh, but he was befriended there by a, a young girl who, who encouraged him to just try it. Let's go and dance. And so he did. And it's as though grace appeared. He reluctantly started to dance, and, and finally that knowledge that he had of dancing, that training that he'd gone through, transferred into understanding as he, as he saw this girl's grace, as he modeled that grace. Grace becomes alive when we, when we live it out in community. It's, it's not just, the training isn't something that can happen just reading the Bible just on your own. It's something that's designed to happen in community. We have an opportunity to train here, a place where we belong. We have a responsibility as well to one another. And in verse 15, we see that the authority is something to be exercised, but I want to point out that Titus had been given authority in the church in Crete. He was a leader in the church, and so he had, he had been given that authority. It wasn't something that he just assumed, um, but it was also something that he was being encouraged to exercise from a position of grace. And so it's important as a community that we give one another authority over each other to exercise that, to speak grace into the brokenness that we have in life, in the, the places where we've held on to sin and death in our own lives, that we're allowing others to speak in to that brokenness, to speak into those mistakes, to have authority over us. And I think that that's something that, that can happen, especially as we, we look at different communities, smaller communities that we have here. That's one of the reasons that in our small groups, uh, we really stress that our small groups need to be a safe place to share, that, that what you say at small group is something that stays at small group. It's a place where we can practice, we can train in godliness and being upright. It's a place where we can make mistakes and we can share our mistakes with one another and we can ask for others to speak grace into our lives. And that's our, our mission here at White Rock Community is to help people reach their God-given potential in Jesus Christ. That people includes you, it includes me, it includes our, our local church here, but it, it also includes the, the broader church community. Uh, it's not just about the church that we have here, but, but our brothers and sisters in other churches. It's not just about the people that have already responded to God's call, but it's also a commitment that we have to those who have yet to respond to Christ's call. So grace shows up, and it's, it's something that's unexpected. It's something that catches us by surprise. When we really start to understand what grace is, it's something that we are, are unworthy of, but it's also something that we didn't expect because that grace does have a price. And also that, that grace has a destination of of purification in community. And it can be difficult to accept that sort of grace. When we look at ourselves and our own failures, I mean, it's easy to, to get into blaming ourselves or blaming others for the pain that we have, for the brokenness that we're trying to, to deal with. 
we can't be transformed until we accept that grace. We've all screwed up, and we've all had to deal with, with the pain caused by others making mistakes as well. But we need to open the door to Jesus to transform those areas of our life, to transform our lives. So I want to ask you this morning, have you come to dance? Are you ready for the destination? You know, we had a, a stranger that wandered into a, a life group earlier this week, and uh, he said to me that uh, I came here looking for a different meeting, but I think this is where I belonged. And maybe you came here for something else this morning. Maybe you've come here with a friend, or, or maybe you're, you're looking for a friend. And that can happen here. Maybe that you have questions about who you are or your own humanity. Maybe you've come looking for answers from God to important questions in your life. And, and maybe you came here because we do have really good coffee in the back. You're here, though, and I want you to know that you belong here. You've been called here by the Holy Spirit. How are you going to respond to the Holy Spirit's call in your life this morning? Maybe the Holy Spirit is calling you to make a, a first-time commitment, a decision to follow Christ as Lord and Savior. Or maybe you've already made a decision for Christ, but you've gotten stuck at some point along the way. You've held on to, to bitterness or, or greed or any number of, of sins or passions, things that have just tripped you up and you've, you've become stuck in your brokenness. I want you to know that you can accept Christ's offer of salvation from sin, but we also have to accept Christ's offer of salvation to righteousness, to purification. That's the destination of grace. That's the purpose of grace. It's our potential. And no matter how broken we are, Christ's sacrifice was for us. It was for us to live out his promise and his training as disciples. Now, some here, too, your relationship with Christ is growing. You're, you're mature, and, and your faith is, is continuing to mature, and, and your life is bearing fruit, but... Maybe there's an area of your life that, that you've been convicted about this morning or, or over the, the past week where, where the Holy Spirit is poking and prodding, bringing to light hidden sins that, that you might not have even realized. Maybe this morning is an opportunity uh, for Jesus to come in and, and uh, to wash your feet, so to speak. You're Like Peter, um, when Jesus came to wash his feet, maybe you, you don't need a bath, you don't need a baptism, you just need some clean feet. You need a part of your life taken care of, recommitted to Christ. And this is an opportunity to do that today. Would you please pray with me? Dear Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you. We thank you for your unexpected, your wonderful grace, Lord. And, and we pray that, that into our brokenness, that into our sin and our, 
our mistakes, Lord. I pray that you would speak your grace into that, Lord. Dear Lord, we pray that, that you would help us to follow you each day, Lord, that you would give us the strength to, to commit to following you as, as Lord and Savior. Lord, we pray that uh, whether it's the first time or, or whether we've, we've prayed before, Lord, we, we are committed to following you. We know that we can't do it on our own, that it's not our efforts that make our, our training worthwhile, but that it is your grace that makes our training possible. It is the price that you have paid, that you have died on the cross to save us from our sins and to train us in righteousness. And dear Lord, I pray that you would help us to renounce lawlessness, that you would help us to embrace your Son, your righteousness. And not just me, Lord, and not just us as individuals, Lord, but that you would help us as a community to support one another, to speak your grace into each other's lives, that we might be a people purified for you, Lord, in your name.